We return to our conversation and dialogue with Dr. Algernon Austin from Center for Economic Policy Research. He is explaining the unfortunate lack of progress from the 1960s when Dr. King was alive until today when it comes to inequality of opportunity for African Americans and African American children compared to Anglos. Enjoy. There has been some improvement. So, you know, I want to be nuanced. There has been some improvements in some areas, but but as the overall numbers from diversity data kids presents, it's really hasn't, we haven't, we're nowhere close to eliminating the racial inequality or the black-white racial inequality in, in American society. Putting it in the opportunity score, child opportunity score, we may have moved up like a few percentiles, but we're not anywhere near to closing the gaps. Very good. So I guess what really bothers me, I was looking at the Diversity Data Kids website, and there was a quote by Lyndon Baines Johnson at Howard University commencement address back in 1965 that I wanted to have you speak to, because I think it captures so much of what this show has been focused on. He says, men and women of all races are born with the same range of abilities, but ability is not just the product of birth. Ability is stretched or stunted by the family that you live with, in the neighborhood you live in, by the school you go to, and the poverty or the richness of your surroundings. It is the product of a hundred unseen forces playing upon the little infant, the child, and finally the man. And so I remember studying the micronutrients group, the Canadian group, and they really emphasized how important nutrition was for the first four years of life for the development of the human brain, particularly in the potentialities associated with that. So when we talk about like poverty, poverty really does kill in many ways. It kills potentials, not that people don't overcome so many of these things as well. But I think in that context, and I know we're running out of time, I wanted to ask you to speak to that, but also the work of Derek Hamilton and William Darity some years ago revealed, and this is 2015, again, well into the 21st century, that the median wealth of the heads of household of black families who graduated from college had about 33% less wealth than the heads of households of white families whose heads had dropped out of high school. So there's a big push towards education. There's rationalizations that that's all we need to do in order to you know even the playing field. But as these statistics show, it's a much more complicated deal. So this, as well as other indicators, reflect the nature of systemic racism, namely that despite even educational advantages, black kids from families of black parents with higher degrees, as documented, are still more likely to end up in lower opportunity neighborhoods compared to whites, again, according to the Diversity Data Kids data. To restate, 67% of black children live in very low or low opportunity neighborhoods, while the inverse is true for white children, where 65% of white children live in very high or high opportunity neighborhoods. At the end of the day, as your article indicates, 
And again, I'm referring to the Black History Month, how far are we from Martin Luther King's dream of equal opportunity? You indicate their data and indicate when they ranked every neighborhood in these areas that they looked at, these 100 metro areas, by this child opportunity score, they found the median black child lives in a neighborhood that ranked in the 24th percentile in resources compared to all other families, while the median white child lives in a neighborhood at the 73rd percentile. I mean, just think of that. Think of being on a football field and having to sprint in a race where you start on the 24-yard line and everyone else is another 50 yards down the field in a 100-yard race, and whoever wins gets the benefits of luxury and is insulated from the impacts of challenging economic conditions. So is the nature of inequality in the United States for African-American kids well into the 21st century. So as you indicated about some of the more nuanced types of issues. What is your thoughts about LBJ's quote? And what are your thoughts about solution-oriented directions to address these unmoving indices? And the one that you did not mention that that I'd be interested in is, aren't the rates of poverty and child poverty similar in the African-American community in the United States? Some 50 years or more later since Dr. King left us, Yeah, we see um, significant disparities in terms of poverty, um, in terms of homelessness. There has been there has been some improvement, but yes. And it's also it's also tricky because our the way we measure poverty is not very good. It's debated, um, you know, whether it really fully captures the problem. So that's another problem in terms of assessing it. It does seem that the way we measure poverty does not seem to fully capture the problem of supporting a family or what it takes to support a family. And that's really what a living wage seems to address. In fact, an article on Investopedia entitled Living Wage, it was by Julia Kagan, was recently updated in January 22nd of 2022 and reviewed by Doritha Clemen and fact-checked by Skylar Clarine. And again, this is an Investopedia piece. They highlighted information that, according to research from MIT, the living wage in the United States was $16.54 per hour, or $68,808 per year in 2019 before taxes for a family of four. So that would be with two working adults, two incomes, totaling the 68808 number, and two children. And the living wage varies by family size and the cost of living in a particular city or location, the article goes on. Earning a living wage means you can pay necessary costs, including uh, shelter, food, health care, child care, taxes, and transportation. So that's much different, that 68,000 number, than the federal poverty level which in 2022 is $27,750, less than half the living wage for a family of four. So in 2009, just some background, the federal minimum wage rose to $7.25 and has remained there as of 2022. There are a number of states, though, that are changing the minimum wage 
and the importance Investopedia indicates is not to confuse the living wage with the minimum wage, where the minimum wage is the lowest amount of money a worker can earn as mandated by law. So when we talk about poverty levels and the incredible number of kids and family members and disproportionately African-Americans below the poverty level, really the poverty level would more appropriately be at that $68,000 a year level or below rather than the $27,750 or below. And that would give us a better snapshot as to the people that are really having to stress with trying to make ends meet. And it's an incredible number of people in a country that, as we've said, has such incredible wealth and wealth inequality. And we should add that the wealth inequality that is so egregious in the United States actually accelerated under President Obama, our first African-American president. So this is really a systemic concern to have such a progressive president, yet an increase in wealth inequality over the eight-year period, I think speaks to more than the inadequacies of a president. Anyhow, I do want to put that in the context, as you said, of the black-white disparities. But yes, there's still, on every economic measure, there, there are significant black-white racial disparities. And unfortunately, on every measure, we've seen very little progress um, since the civil rights movement, unfortunately, when we're looking at the economic, economic opportunity. But I'm glad you read the Lyndon B. Johnson quote, because that really captures both the problem and points us to the solution. Yes, if children are growing up in a family that is, you know, economically deprived, in a neighborhood that is economically deprived, in a school that is underfunded and economically deprived, and and that continues, or in neighborhoods and cities that are under, that have suffered from disinvestment and white flight, et cetera, you're not going to have, on average, you're not going to have positive social and economic outcomes for children growing up in those communities. It's, it, should be, it should be obvious. So if we want equality, if we want equal opportunity, and if we want a, a better, stronger, more productive society for everyone, not just for, not just for African Americans, but think about it. If black children had better outcomes in school, in the labor market, there is a there's research by uh, Raj Chetty that he calls the hidden. It's I think it's called the something like the lost Einstein. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Again? Yes, it's Raj R A G Chetty C H uh, E T T Y, and his uh, organization is Opportunity Insights, if I remember correctly, and he has a paper called. It's something like the lost Einsteins. And what that is, is that in these economically deprived neighborhoods, there are lots of kids who are brilliant and they can invent and create and do wonderful things. But because we have such severe economic inequality, as Lyndon B. Johnson said, their abilities and their outcomes are stunted by the economic inequality in American society. And if we reverse that, we we would then be able to benefit from all those Einsteins that we're currently stunting.
we would be able to benefit with a much more productive economy. We'll be able to benefit with less crime in our cities and in society. We would have to spend less in sort of uh, social welfare programs. We would benefit tremendously. But we have to, to do that. We have to be willing to think long term rather than short term. And we, we have to think collectively rather than what's in it for me. We have to think about well, what's, what do we need as a society as a whole? And if we invest, yes. So John, Lyndon B. Johnson points it out. We need to invest in families so that children aren't growing up homeless. So that children, you were talking about um, the cognitive development in this country that's so rich, we still have too many children that are being poisoned by lead, that are being subject to lead poisoning. And again, it's disproportionately children of color that are being exposed to lead that damages them cognitively. We would be a better society. These children would be much more productive if they weren't poisoned by lead as children. So we need to make those kinds of investments in the family so that children can be healthy and develop fully. We need to make sure that they can go to schools where they don't have to worry, where the schools are heated and cooled adequately, where there are functioning bathrooms, etc., where there are good science labs so that they can become the scientists that they have the potential to be, for example. You know, if we make these investments, we would create a better society, not just for the black population, but for the entire society. And we're an incredibly rich country, so it's not like we can't afford it. We can absolutely afford it. But we just need to start thinking long-term, like what's best in the long-term, and what is valuable for the society as a whole, not just what's val valuable for me as an individual or for how I think about my particular racial group. Because in the end, you end up with a worse society and a more dysfunctional society when we don't invest in, in the collective good, in the common good. Very good. You know, for Dr. King, one thing that is, he really taught us, I think, more than anything else, is that there's no such thing as a lesser human being, right? And so the status of children, I think is a, a really, really important barometer. I think democracy is really what is best for the majority population, not the top 1% that we've started to show off indicating that has gotten this incredible bounce in wealth distribution since 1989. And again, you saw it again in the post-COVID period that they were the ones that continue to accrue and expand that wealth inequality margin. And it just seems that somehow the majority populations of our country then turn to these issues of immigration, like that's the cause of their demise of the middle class, rather than, as you started off the show, indicating the lack of unions, you know, sharing that interest and protecting the values that workers produce. Uh, they get paid just such a small percentage of what they actually create in value and as a result, we just have this incredible wealth disparity. I just want to remind folks, we've had the great honor and privilege of, of visiting with Dr. Algernon Austin. He's a director 
for Race and Economic Justice at the Center for Policy Economic and Policy Research. I wanted to conclude the show by asking you, are there any concluding comments that you would like to make? And then also, if people are interested in your work, Dr. Austin, and I certainly am, how can they access the work that you're producing as well as the Center for Economic Policy Research? Yeah, so I would just want people, I think that, again, that Lyndon B. Johnson quote is so powerful and so important, um, and we need to think about this and really base our public policy, all of our public policy on the insight of that and think about, you know, men and women of all races are born with the same abilities, but our policies can stunt those abilities or nourish them. And unfortunately, um, by race and class, we have many policies that really stunt children's abilities. So I think it's important people can go to Diversity Data Kids and, and learn more about the data than I talked about, but also see that full quote, uh, as you mentioned on the website, to learn more about my work and to see my piece on Black History Month and, and King and to get some quotations from Martin Luther King. I encourage people to go to the website of the Center for Economic and Policy Research, that's cepr.net, cepr.net, and they can find my work and read that piece about Martin Luther King's dream of equal opportunity. And they can keep following me and the work of the Center for Economic and Policy Research. Very good. Well, thank you for this really important discussion. It is Black History Month, although the problems that you have pointed out in your work about children, particularly children of color and and the tragic circumstances, I'm really struck by the issue of environmental pollution and the lead in the water and that type of thing. I, I think also when you combine that with just poverty itself without the lead, if you do not eat appropriately and get properly nourished, you just lose some of your brain potential. I mean, this is, you know, from age zero to four is the most important brain development period and such. So these are crimes against uh, humanity that Dr. King would be absolutely livid about, I'm sure. And I really appreciate your work. And thank you so much for bringing light into the darkness around these uh, issues in Black History Month, Dr. Austin. It's been a pleasure uh, to be with you. It's been really great. Thank you. This week, Co-op begins its fourth membership drive while under COVID-19 restrictions. We are so grateful for the support our listeners provided in the past and proud to be your friendly neighborhood radio station for over 27 years. Our spring membership drive runs from Friday, February 25th through Sunday, March 5th, and donations can currently be safely and quickly made at koop.org. There you'll find the convenient Donate Now button, the new range of thank you gifts, and the always anticipated t-shirt designs. And remember, KOOP appreciates every contribution that continues to sustain us all. With your support, we will be there for you. We'll see you next week. Coming up next, do not go anywhere unless you're not on koop.org right now. Switch on over to the internet if you're on the FM dial to hear Emo Diaries with co-op's very own Stephanie at the Disco. I can't wait. And we go out as we do every week 
with Land of Naivety. But first, in tribute to Malcolm X on the anniversary of his assassination, we wanted to play a Tommy Boy clip, followed by Land of Naivety.
Check out. 